Welcome to the Outer Realm with Michelle DeRoche and Amelia Passano. Airing live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 FM in New Orleans. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Wednesday night segment of The Outer Realm. We're broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network, UFO, Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 FM from the beautiful city of New Orleans. We are fully sponsored by the amazing people over at Folgers Coffee who have been a part of our journey since the very beginning. And that's pretty much going on four years now. So thank you, Folgers. We wouldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without you. And we are so grateful for you. Also, big thank you to Justice Snicker, a.k.a. Dr. Snicker, Sonic Surgeon, for his contribution of his time, his music, and his voice for the intro that you just heard. He's an award-winning composer of Halloween, horror, sci-fi, and dark wave electronic music, which can be found on all of your favorite music streaming platforms. Also... Big thank you to Steve McGinnis, the artist behind all of our banners and logos here at the show. Check him out on Facebook and Instagram. Also specializes in the horror genre and does phenomenal commission pieces of any type. So tonight we welcome back Dennis Stone. He's the owner of America Stonehenge. Yes, America has a Stonehenge. <laughs> and he's going to be catching us up on the continued research and ongoing discoveries that have been going on at the site and might even get into astrological alignments, things like that. We're just kind of, kind of go with the flow and, and see where he takes us because there's, there's just so much there. And of course we do have a few pictures that we can share. And I know that they have a terrific video um, floating around out there too, that maybe he can tell us about. So bubbly, how's it going? Good. How are you? Oh, it's going. It's Wednesday. I'm getting there. Humpty. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is. It's a good thing, though. We're just closer to Christmas, though. Aww. Like 21 days. Sorry. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, how come I don't like Christmas? It's just, it's so much preparation, and I just don't have a lot of time. There's a lot of pressure. I still have boxes all over my main floor. Like, I haven't. Well, I had to clean my fridge today. That was fun. <laughs> Needed a shower after that. I can't yeah. reach. My fridge is deep. I can't reach the back of it. And <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah. You know, it's that fridge that sticks out of your counter, but I need it because I don't want to go up and down the stairs kind of size fridge. Right. So no matter how many groceries you put in, it never looks full. Right. It just always looks like someone's starving here. Right. Hi, That's Janice. Funny. But yeah, so if you guys are out there shopping, please be careful driving and be kind. Smile to everybody. Everybody's feeling the stress right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know. And it's getting really crazy out there right now, for sure. Um, yeah. Traffic has just been ridiculous. I have no urge to, to get too deeply into all of that on all of these crazy highways. I just want to... Uh, 
Yeah. Levels and be quiet. Hey, I do Roger. too, but I think, hi, Roger. I think the only way I could do that is on a beach. <laughs> on a beach, no less. Wow. Yeah, on a beach. Right. No phone. Right. And rum. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be on a beach to enjoy rum. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I know, but no, it just no, tastes you know. better when you're where they make it. <laughs> you don't want to pass out on a beach. I, I have no trouble passing out on the beach because I don't burn because I'm Italian. Right. <laughs> so oh, I have no problems gosh. passing out on a beach. I've done that. I have had the worst burn I ever had was Antigua, but like you're on the bloody equator. Right. So, yeah. Right. But um, yeah, so I have oh. no problem with it. You're funny. Hold Hello, on. everybody. Just... Everybody. Cabo San Lucas. I'll meet you there, Roger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a long flight for us. It is. Oh, God, it is. One second. I'm just going to prep up. We're waiting for our guest. Yeah. Come in. I'm just going to get a picture ready. Oh, there it is. And somebody is just messing again with all of our uh, general. Mm -mm -mm. I meant to tell you that I was, I caught a show and I caught our banner and our music on someone else's show, but then they quickly turned it. And I'm like, wait a minute, Michelle doing a show should tell me. Nope, nope, nope. I do the, I'm like, I do the promos. Like what the heck is going on? And it just, yeah, I guess they clicked the wrong side. That happens because we have several, several hosts on this network. So they clicked the wrong one to start with and it makes it really, really difficult. So I'm just, I'm actually just checking something right now with these, um, automatically screen video stream. No, there we go. There we go. All right. Yeah. Kind of wondering why did that thing pop up before I was ready? Cause somebody had been messing with some buttons and not putting them back. So there it we happens. go. It so happens. yeah. So yeah. Uh, everybody chiming in, really appreciate you. Hello. So really nice. Yeah. Good. 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 So yeah, America Stonehenge. I haven't even mm. visited, you know, England Stonehenge <laughs> yet. But up until we had Dennis come on the show, I did not even know that there was an American Stonehenge. And a lot of really like popular people have been there. I think the family's had it for at least 50 years from what he was saying. And uh, hello. Hi. And um, they've had people like HP Lovecraft visit, all, all kinds of amazing folks. Oh, and I think our guest is here. So one moment. There we go. Uh, you ready to go, Dennis? Yes, yes, okay. Yay. Bam! Hi, Hi, how are you? Oh, no. Oh, we can't hear you. Microphone. Oh, yep. <laughs> we can't hear you. Mm. There you go. Uh, nope. No. Thank you, Roger. Uh, no, can't hear you at all. I know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, we can't, <laughs> you can't hear you at all. Try and take off your, your earbuds maybe and just see if, yeah. 
Oh, see, there you go. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. 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 I wonder oh, if it's maybe, maybe it's just a connection. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Let me turn you up there because I can just barely hear you now. It's like a whisper. Okay. Huh. I could. Yeah. I think I can hear you okay. Uh, yeah. So you want me to leave those off? I guess it's not working. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just a connection. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it wasn't in far enough. I, I, I don't know. But if, if we're not getting feedback. If you want to turn up your volume, maybe you could hear us. I don't know. I can hear you now. Yeah, it's, it's not, um, it's a little bit on the low side, maybe like four by five. You're clear, but maybe three or four by five. But I think I can hear you enough for the show. I'm going to try. Okay. <laughs> uh, let me try and see if I can. Put the volume up a little bit. How's that? Does that sound a little better? Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, at first I couldn't hear you hardly at all, but I can hear you pretty good now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's perfect. Yeah, Bart says he can hear you really well too, so that works out. So how how are you? It's been a while. Yeah, it was a, a year ago, I think, uh, coming up, I think around the 9th of this month, in a couple of days, it'll be a whole year. Doing pretty well. Uh, suffering from a head cold to my granddaughter. She had a cold. Oh, uh, it's going around. It goes around. I know it. Yeah, uh, it's so. going around right now. Yeah. <laughs> so my voice hangs on for 90 minutes. And uh, I have some cough medicine with me, but I haven't been coughing much. So that's good. That's but, okay. Michelle's done entire shows hacking. Yeah. <laughs> so you just yeah. mute. <laughs> yeah. I hope they get a lot out of it in that case. Oh, I keep it. I keep it close. <laughs> so when we spoke in the summer, you actually went on a really impressive road trip. Yeah, we did a couple of them this year. Uh, finally started to get out, you know, after retirement. I retired like six years ago and was starting to get around. We actually went to Etowah, uh, down to Georgia twice. We visited the Etowah Mountains down there and then we drove back from there all the way through, uh, you know, the country, uh, the East Coast, and went to the uh, Serpent Mound and the Sight Mound and the Chillicothe Mounds, and then up to the uh, Newark uh, Earthworks, which was amazing, you know. And then that was one trip. We did about two weeks. And then uh, when we got back home, we were home working at the museum for a few weeks. And then we took our dog this time, and we drove all the way up to Newfoundland, went to Lonzo Meadow, and had never been up there. It was pretty Wow. I love Newfoundland now. It was so cool up there, you Beautiful, know. Beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's a little different than I thought. My dad was stationed up in that Labrador, you know, during the early 50s for the Coast Guard. You know, he used to describe it and everything. And I think he always had a fondness for the place up there. But So we finally made it and kind of fell in love with the place. We saw where the Vikings landed, you know, Lonzo Meadow and all that. That was so we did those couple trips. And then we went up to Vermont, saw some of the ancient ruins up there that are like ours. That was a little short side trip um so we got around a little bit to see a few uh, ancient sites this year so that was kind of kind of a fun thing and um i think uh in march we're going to take uh, april we're going to take off go down to alabama and louisiana and see some of the mounds on the southern part of the united states you know take mm -hmm. a road trip down there uh in the rv uh we might drive you know there's uh um we bought an rv in etowah right oh not in etowah but near etowah we bought an rv down there back uh uh in june you know and uh we drove that back so uh right uh, yeah right. it was a lot of fun yeah and seeing those earthworks in the biking settlement was pretty awesome you know i've been wanting to see those for years and years and years well how, how does it compare to hmm. your site 
They're made out do of you dirt. Any <laughs> do you see any similarities? Or Because well, I'm sure yeah, in the back of your mind, you've got to think, or at least you have to hope that, am I going to find okay. something that maybe can give me an answer or a similarity, anything? Like well, yeah, astronomically, there are alignments like the, uh, the Newark earthworks, uh, which are huge. You know, they're right east of Columbus, and they supply into Columbus all the time for Americans. But uh, they're actually aligned with the lunar uh, cycle, and that's coming up uh, in 2025. So I think there'll be people watching that from that gigantic earthworks. Uh, it's not a solar um, <clears throat> uh, aligned site, I don't think. Not from what I've read, not what I read when I was there either. It's more of a lunar mm -hmm. uh, observatory. But of course, the serpent mound uh, reminds me of our serpent walls very, very much, you know? And right. I think the Draco, the constellation, may have. Uh, inspired the people in the northern hemisphere um, to build these serpent walls. Perhaps we don't know. We also have snakes around too, so that's another thing we got, you know. Um, but that's astronomically aligned too, kind of with the solstices and equinoxes. So the astronomy, and maybe using Draco the constellation, you know. Uh, so there are some similarities. And because if you go out there, there's not a lot of rock. It's mostly earth, so that's what they built out of. When you get back to New England, it's pretty rocky up there. And, in the Northeast New York, right into New England, right up towards Newfoundland, I found out it's all rocky. And uh, you'd use that material available, which is mostly rock, you know? So right. yeah, there are some comparisons. Yeah, def definitely, yeah. yeah. Right, <clears throat> right, fascinating. Well, the last time you were here, what's wrong, Bubbles? I need, Dennis, if you don't mind putting your volume up a little bit because it's hitting the base and it's not coming clear. My volume? Okay. Um, mine's uh, maxed out right now at the top of the bar, kind of. Is okay, that... it could be the room you're in. It's just bouncing off the walls then. Okay. Oh, do, do I need to turn it down then? No. I don't know. I'm fine. I don't. I. I mean, I hear a little bit of an echo. You're. No, I'm hearing a hard bass. Oh, okay. Yeah, like it's bouncing, but it's okay. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. No, no, that's perfect. Right where you are is perfect. Yeah. Right there. If okay. I need to talk louder or lower, let me know. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, where you're perfect. at is perfect. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard when you're using the mic from the, the laptop. It it could go either way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mine sounds tinny. Yours, for me, it's bass, mm -hmm. so it's just like that. Yeah. You're oh. good, though. And you both oh. sound great to me, so I'm good. That's good. Yeah. Are you? <laughs> and you both sound good on this side, too. Good. Right. good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's you. <laughs> <laughs> So where where we left off before um was that you were getting a bunch of like you were having some some things coming um at your location you were having bones tested you were looking at having some more archaeological stuff coming up so why don't you just take us from there you know what's been happening at your place what's what's new over there i'm going to put up a picture of the solstice that you sent me because I love this picture from from last December. Yeah, I believe that's from last December. The years. Oh ago, my god! So it's very pretty. Yeah, it's a very very pretty uh, event. Yeah. You know, um, as long as the weather cooperates, you know. It's gorgeous. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> I love now, it. Yeah, the monolith is so cool. It looks like a big arrowhead, you know. And um, we opened that. That should too, be framed, right? Dennis. Oh yeah. <laughs> He yeah. sees it all the time. It's stunning, <laughs> but it should be framed. I would buy it. We just it's that gorgeous. We, we really should, yeah. Some people have been, I show that to people and they mention that, you know. So um, 
It's kind of our logo, actually. It's been our logo, I think, since the mid-70s, I'd say. That's wow. Uh, we've used it on our uh, coffee mugs, and I love coffee. It's on T-shirts, on hats. It's gorgeous. Uh, it's, you know, magnets, you know, different types of souvenirs. And uh, we have it on our signs, too. Yeah. But, yeah, that's been open since 1965. You know, we've laid out about 800 feet of trees. Basically, uh, just on kind of a curiosity, does that stone align with anything, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's because of a TV show on CBS called The Mystery of Stonehenge in 1965. It aired, and it was based on a book by <clears throat> Gerald Hopkins from England, and he wrote a book called Stonehenge Decoded. So I've got a lot of interest in astronomy, you know, ancient sites, particularly Stonehenge in England, how it's aligned with the sun, you know, and as you know now, with the moon too. But um, so the researchers at our site said, hey, these stones might have some significance. So they went out and cleared that, and we saw that. I saw it for the first time in 1970, 53 years ago, we went up there, and we saw it, it was a beautiful, cold winter day with about over a foot of snow so we had to go a half a mile to the woods to see that and it was absolutely beautiful but it was actually photographed in 1967 the very first time so it's been several decades you know that stone's been you know um being viewed and we'll be open on uh that day it'll be the thursday the 21st the shortest day of the year <laughs> the <Right>. longest day <laughs> and yes. probably a very cold day but it, that's a, that's okay you know <laughs> we'll just right <laughs> it is sometimes, you know, and uh, we have it open for the public. So we'll be open in the morning for the sunrise. We'll be open all day, and then we close after sunset. Uh, there's a ceremony going on. There's going to be a ceremony on the weekend before. The woman that's been doing it for 33 years at our place, she's from the Netherlands, but she uh, decided to do it on, uh, I think it's a Sunday before, because it's too close to Christmas. Everybody's busy. Everybody's hectic. Um and Thursday, people, some people might still be working. So we'll put it on a weekend. We'll make it Sunday to Sunday before. So I think that's the ninth, uh, the 19th, I think it is. We're having the ceremony. Uh, wow. That might be incorrect. Uh, might be, I think it is whatever Sunday is. You know, that's the day. It's on our website. Right. So that's our next big event. We just had the uh, fall equinox, it seems like, yesterday. And we had the November 1st cross-border day. Um, so the research continues, you know, over 85 years of research. Uh, the astronomy is still being looked at, and we opened up the alignments for the lunar cycle coming up. They've never been open. Um, wow. Two years ago, we got a forestry project. I might have mentioned in the last show. So uh, next year, I'll be watching those <clears throat> alignments, and it's called the Lunar Major North and South Moonrise and Moonset. Uh, I mean, the sites in England that will be aligned with that, up in Scotland, mm -hmm. of course, and all over the world, basically. Uh, and again, including the uh, Newark, Ohio earthwork which on September 26th, along with the Serpent Mound and a couple other mounds in Ohio, were put on the UNESCO World Heritage Site. They're actually getting world recognition. Now, if we can only get that for some of the stonework, too, we'll be quite happy, you know? Um, wow. You know, it's good for the acknowledgement that they're important, they're ancient. There might be some protections for them, too, maybe, or at least public awareness that these sites are valuable, they're priceless, you know, to care for them, you know? Um, Maybe mm -hmm. not put a road through them, build a road around them, don't put it through it if you can, you know, for a house. You know. Um, so, yeah, we have, a, we're still doing research, you know, and it's been almost nine decades of research on this particular site. And we keep discovering new things. I just found a couple more of those windows uh, this week. I think uh, we're going to like another one, you know, we, you know, the well, hiding. <laughs> I want to show one of those those pictures because I stole them off of your Instagram. <laughs> oh, 
I thought, yeah, I think I'm just going to share this up right now. So yeah, once um, you're on social media, I know. The world. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I did. I snagged them. I snagged them. I found some really interesting pictures. I mean, I don't want to do total overkill on everything, but um, hold on right here. Um, hold on. Hold on. I'm trying to find this one here that you're talking about. And I'm just going to bring them all up. Okay. So give me one moment. I'm kind of trying to figure this out. Is I, And let me know if this is the one that you were talking about. I thought I read that it was. So uh, share screen. Come on up. Bam. 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 Okay. Is, is this it here? Oh, that's one of them. Actually, that's uh, one I found in February. Uh, okay. Beautiful. The one I found was in 2016 in the, uh, I think it was in the spring of 2016, right after I retired from American Airlines. And that one there is actually a full window. You can see two of the windows. The other two windows are lower off the frame to the left. You can't quite see them. Uh, there is um, a very similar one. I had to look at it closely when you put it up because it's one in Connecticut. <clears throat> it looks almost identical to that. Uh, Connecticut wow. has many, many windows, uh, you know, serpentine walls and chambers and standing stones, just like we have, uh, basically all over the state of Connecticut. And Massachusetts has these windows too, but one of the ones I'm not sure that I sent you actually looks almost identical to that, and it is one in Connecticut, you know. It's, and I'm, I have them on my phone, I'm showing to people, and I have to look at it closely to make sure I'm not talking about our site verse. And that's a four window, uh, four window, just like that one there is four windows with two hiding right now off to the side of the frame. Um, so we found about 26 of them, I think. And uh, in England, too, in England and Dartmoor, where there's so many ancient megalithic sites, they call them spiritals over there. They think that the spirits, maybe ancestor spirits, can flow through these windows. <clears throat> That's the thought over there. You can't talk to the builders over there, nor the builders over here. Mm -hmm. But there's no purpose for, like, a farmer to build all these windows in these stone walls. You know, and some are at the top of the wall, some at the bottom. <clears throat> some are um, side by side adjacent. <clears throat> some have actually right. stone shutters that go into them. <clears throat> so um, they come in a variety, you know, at our site. We have, uh, like I say, we think 26. We were doing some cleaning the other day up here, getting some firewood, cleaning up some debris, and we spotted two more. Like, wow, how do we, you know, all these years we've been there, we've been there almost uh, 65 years. How did we not see these things before? You know? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I think you just have so much. Um, there's just so much there. I mean, it's going to take you probably another hundred years. To probably, get yeah. To you, know, you wonder what we're missing right now as we're walking around up there right now that we haven't quite, you know, detected or we haven't seen. Uh, I know my dad spent a lot of time in the in the woods, particularly after he retired from AT and T. He'd be up in the woods looking at the walls. They really fascinated him. But the serpent uh, shape never appeared to them. No other windows, you know, and he even had an astronomer from Penn State, Dr. Winkler. And mm -hmm. Dr. Winkler joined us in 97, and he was with us to 2001. And he'd drive up from Penn State quite often and work with my dad up there, you know. Um, wow. And they would go out there and look at the walls, and they were measuring them, they were looking at them, studying them, particularly about the astronomical alignment kind of thing. But they right. never detected windows, and they never detected the serpentine shape. I think once you train your eye to see them, you can never miss them again, though. Right, but they are hiding a little bit in the brush. You know, that's only one thing. The brush. Have you, sorry, have you ever put drones out there and compared video footage? 
Yeah, we used drones. We actually had a thermal imaging camera that a gentleman uh, was using on our site. He had a high definition um, optical camera and a thermal camera. And I think it was like a $12,000 unit, you know, and, uh, and it can see about 14 inches into the ground. You need like a temperature differential. And that was one of the drones that was used up there. And his name was Mark Jenkins. He did a wonderful job with that. Um, and he's supposed, to, I think he might come back again and do some more with that. You know, he did basically the 110 acres. He just set the thing on like a computer. It would just go back and forth as the plowman's walked across the entire hilltop mapping it. But mm -hmm. we used regular drones too. And I think I sent you some of that drone footage from Jason Hudson, the uh, producer. And yes. Beautiful um, aerial stuff of the site. Um, you can see the, some of the walls, the chambers, and um, and then he threw it down the drone very low into the chambers. And that mm -hmm. was pretty cool. He actually took it into the chambers and he got the drone out, and you could see the inside of some of the structures. And then he'd go up to the 400 foot legal limit and uh, take some shots from there, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and the LIDAR, the LIDAR has been pretty amazing, too. We've been using it the site, you know. So he's done a lot of different uh, new technologies up there. Yes, I'm going to make sure that link, because it's almost an hour long, <clears throat> makes yeah. it almost impossible for us to play it. But I'm going to put the link, with your permission, in the show description for YouTube and send it to the archives as well. So this way, if people go to it, they can have the option of, you know, purchasing it or whatever, you know, he, yeah. he whenever he makes it available. Um, it's a, yeah, well, thank you so much for that. I know uh, Jason will be uh, very pleased. Uh, He's done a number of different movies. He does regular movies too for like Amazon and stuff, Prime. But um, right. he's going to be doing ancient sites uh, documentary with his co-producer, and they're going to do it around the world. And they're going to include our site. He's coming back to do more filming on our site too. He's going to bring up. He brought up some pretty nice equipment, but he says like the real good equipment because the movie quality equipment will bring up next time. So I'm like, wow, that be, it was pretty amazing what he did already. I thought, you know. Right. Oh, beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's like pretty good. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, people are interested in all of their ancient history now, especially on this side of the world, because, you know, I mean, we haven't been, let's say, as they say, we haven't been a civilized world, much like, you know, Europe or England has nowhere near as long as they've been. But the structures that are here are just, you know, just as old. You know, we have a Stonehenge in Lake Michigan. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like pre-Ice Age stuff, it's it's there. It's starting to surface. And I think with, like you mentioned, all of this technology, LIDAR is like phenomenal stuff. I mean, there's people yeah. who just use satellites. You know, there's an archaeologist out of England who uses only satellites. And she's found pyramids and buried ancient cities. Um it's just endless, the amount of stuff that you can find. If it keeps up, you're going to have your whole place uncovered in no time. Yeah, I think you're referring to, is it Sarah Hawkeye, uh, from, uh, from uh, she's from Alabama. Right. She's a space archaeologist. Yeah. Uh, in fact, our LIDAR guy actually knows her. I was nice. Like, you know, and I'm like, because he's a landscape architect, you know, with a master's degree, and he's been doing it for like 30 years. Which is 10 great yeah, stuff. He worked with her, and I'm like, you did? You know, I was quite surprised. <laughs> I said, aim her, have her aim her satellite towards New England and see what she's doing. You know, so. Wouldn't that be great? Because she's <laughs> yeah. found stuff buried under the desert sand. I mean, unbelievable discoveries. I mean, the government's just been like, ah, uh, holy crap. Like, it, it, she has managed 
in just a few short years to uncover stuff that would take a hundred years to find. Yeah, especially in the jungles too, like Guatemala. I think they found the numbers astounding. It's like sixty thousand more, you know, stone constructions down there, different types of stone, you know, pyramids and things like that that were hiding in the jungle. Kind of like our windows and our serpents were kind of hiding in our sort of a jungle up in our hill too, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, the satellite's amazing and. I know she's found 13 more pyramids in Egypt the last time I heard, so I think they got up to like 100 wow. pyramids, you know, so. <laughs> there are 200 pyramids that have been found so far, I think, in Egypt. I and think there's a lot that are. For a lot. Yeah, I think there's a lot of buried ones. She's probably sure still as we talk. <laughs> um, but uh, wow. America, in the United States, in part of Canada, there are mounds that numbered close to a million, you know. Uh, so when you go through Ohio, Indiana, right up into southern Canada, right out to the Rio Grande, there's so many of these mountains. When you go to school, you know, we never heard about that. Uh, elementary school, junior high, high school, even into college, they, they weren't talked about, you know, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. and, and yet these things were built and they exist. Although a lot of them have been plowed under, you know, by plowing activities and stuff like that, roads. And, you know, I think uh, Milwaukee and uh, St. Louis, Madison, Wisconsin, <clears throat> Lexington, Kentucky are all mm -hmm. sitting in you know, ancient mounds and sitting right on top of them. The same in Florida, particularly in the West Coast below the Crystal River Mounds, which we visited a year and a half ago. A lot of the resorts are built over ancient mound, shell mound pyramids. And because of weathering and storm, like hurricanes and stuff, a lot of them were kind of damaged. And because then eventually they were kind of finished off and you put a road to it or, or you build over them. You know. They're pretty. I mean, they're so old, they were damaged naturally, but also by people later too. But they mm -hmm. were all over the all over the continent. About a million of them were there. Mm -hmm. so, um, but as far mm -hmm. as fantastic, they go from Ontario, Canada, uh, Quebec, east of Montreal. There was a gentleman named Gerard Leduc, and he was a member of my dad's group. And he used to take tours of some of the stone mm -hmm. ruins similar to ours east of Montreal. I hadn't visited those. I've been up to Montreal so many times, but I hadn't. I haven't had the opportunity to visit what he was doing. And our local Boston, one of the big papers in Boston, one of the biggest ones, actually had a whole article about him leading tours to these ancient, what he thought were ancient stone ruins like we do, you know. Mm -hmm. But they go right from Canada and they go right down to Virginia and uh, it's about 800 different sites of ours. Um, it's a little unique in that all these different types of features we find on our site, whether it's circuit walls and a wedge team shaped structures or like the watch house. The east-west chamber looks like galley grave you find over in Europe, or what they call galley or gallery grave. And all these different other features, um, they're all compressed uh, on our site on about 110 acres. If you go to the Hudson Valley, there's about 500 sites, but they're stretched out over like Putnam, Westchester counties, you know, over actually over mm -hmm. three counties are spread over, you know. And um, if you go to North Stonington, Connecticut, there's 8,000 of these stone features, uh, 400 serpent walls. There's uh, miles and miles of uh, other types of walls. There's um, numerous windows and chambers, but 8,000 structures in the town of North Stonington, we call that one, one site. Mm -hmm. So it can be just a chamber by itself, like Wyndham, New Hampshire. It can be our site with 110 acres, or it could be like, you know, the North Stonington site, you know, which is very, very complex. And uh, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. um, that Jason Hudson has actually filmed some of the sites not only some of the mounds out west, like the Serpent Mound and the Newark Mounds, he's actually uh, filmed uh, some of the sites like in Connecticut. So they're going to be part of that documentary whenever he's going to put up. <clears throat> right. 
We have a question for you. So we'll, Amelia, can you see? Okay. I can't because it's right level with me. Okay. Hi, Janice, thank you for uh, submitting your question. Thank you for joining us. That's a bit better. Um, yeah. Thank you. Janice asks, looking at your site on Google Earth, there is a starburst look where trees are not growing. Did you plant the trees that way or is that natural? A definite east-west line too. No, that's a wonderful question. And people will see that. And actually that was used um, as a reporting point for aviation. I flew for 42 years. And actually, because you can see it so well, it was actually a landmark from the air. Yeah, it does look like a starburst. And actually that's because of the clearing of the alignments uh, starting in 1965. If you go back and look at some photographs, because um, the US government used to map everything. You go back early in time, and you'll just see a big hill with trees on it. But the ancient people for, probably found a fairly uh, bare hill up there, mostly bedrock, but there was soils and some vegetation. So our thought is even back in the ancient times, they may have had to remove some brush and some trees that may have grown up in the alignments. But what you see is uh, something like there are 57 alignments for the sun, moon, and stars. So you've seen quite a few of the alignments. And some of those swaths actually might have a couple of alignments. It might be like May Day and maybe um, the uh, August 1st Loch Nasser, or, they, or it's called the, uh, uh, yeah, Loch Nasser. Uh, it's one of the cross quarter days or in that, basically very close together in that same avenue. So you won't count 57 little spokes. There are 57 alignments and they're kind of in those spokes, you know? Hmm. So we, that's a lot of clearing that we started. And I did a lot of that too, you know, um, when I was young, you know, we cleared a lot of those ourselves, you know? I got a couple of chainsaw cuts in both legs uh, from doing that. <laughs> I was mm -hmm. just talking about that today, the kickback and the old chains, they weren't the safety chains they have today. And you get into a tree and we kick back at you and we didn't wear chaff back then. And I got two great big cuts in, my, in both legs, you know, doing that. So there's a, war, war, a little trophy wounds, I guess, from all of that too, you know? <clears throat> but you have to clear about a thousand feet of trees. But in ancient times, it was basically a big uh, hill of bedrock with some vegetation on it. The uh, soil builds up about an inch every 125 years in New England from windblown particle and vegetation decay. It's called pediogenesis, the creation of soil. <clears throat> so all the walls and all the structures up there are sitting on bedrock. And uh, if you look at the stone walls, particularly the ones in the, you know, around the main site, some of the soil is slowly creeping up on the walls, you know, going up along the side of the wall. <clears throat> and we actually were able to use OSL, optically stimulated luminescence, next to a wall we believe is the end of the longest serpent, and it goes around 2,550 feet from the watch house. Mm. The watch house, uh, I don't know if you have a photograph of that. I know Jason's got some nice video of that. Mm -hmm. It's a multifunctional chamber. It's an illumination chamber. It's we showed it on the first show. Yeah, <clears throat> I think so. Yeah, I think you saw that, huh? Yes, we did. We did. Um, I don't know if I've got that handy or not, but we have a lot of uh, the corbel. I've got the corbel. That's that's here. I've got pottery that I want to talk about. Um. Yeah, there's, there's, there's pictures. I was just going to show them after we could talk and you can, you know, explain them to us at that point. It might be easier. I've got the monolith. Uh, so you can just keep talking, you know, you can keep going. I don't think I've got that one handy, but it's all in the first show. And we yep. aired that show okay. um, at the end of September, beginning of October. We, re we replayed it. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. 
So that tape is pretty cool, but when they did the OSL test, the test came back, and I think we got them just before your show last year, and they were showing that that wall was sitting there because the earth had built up next to the wall, and they were able to take a core. It took two years to get the results back, and the soil had built up next to the wall about 1400 AD. So <clears throat> some of the critics say, you know, that all these sites in the Northeast are all built by a bunch of farmers or crazy farmers or whatever. Um, right. here's, a, here's a date, actually scientific date, that that wall was already sitting there uh, about 93 years before Christopher Columbus crossed the ocean, you know? <clears throat> and that's the end of that tale of that 2,550 foot serpent, we think. So the soil is building up slowly around the hill, you know, and then the vegetation's been coming up. Um, but that's a great question. Yeah, if you look at Google Earth, you will see our site. It does look pretty cool from the air. And if you fly over it, like I used to all the time, I look down and show my co-pilots as I did. That's America's Stonehenge down there. And he goes, oh, wow, that looks, you know, so cool down there. It looks like a big spider or something, you know. It kind of looks like that from the air. It's very cool. <laughs> uh, Tamara has a comment. Uh, I, I just realized I had my mic muted. I'm like, I'm. it's uh, so amazing what you get to see. I'm so jealous. Like when you're <laughs> flying, my cousins are pilots too. And I'm like, it's so nice. Hi, Tamara. Yeah. It's great to have you back. Uh, maybe the trees are on a negative ley line. Did you well, know anything about the ley line, sir? Good point. Yeah. Um, actually, in 1978, uh, we were in a book that was printed in England, and they did a um, study on our site, uh, I guess dowsing it, and they doused the walls. They go this, you know, 110 acres of walls, basically, but they did the walls mainly around the main site where the astronomical alignments are, the 15 acres, roughly. Mm -hmm. And the walls, I felt at that time, were mocking water on the ground and uh the astronomical alignments they and i have the book actually i don't have it with me right now but they actually show the astronomical alignments being on what they call ley lines you know uh, maria wheatley is supposed to come over and uh really uh she's already done some work on our site using maps but maria travels she was just in egypt she was in malta she was in sedona she was out in la with a lot of people that have probably been on your show perhaps you know and um, her dad came to us. He was an archaeologist in a dowser. He was at our site back over 40 years ago. So I'm really waiting for her to come up and look at the windows, look at the walls, look at the serpent walls in the site. And I want to learn from her, you know, what she knows about the energy and, you know, the vortices and all these different things that she uh, she's more of an expert in that area. And she does lectures on that. She takes tours, like I say, to Egypt, Malta. She just came back from there, uh, from Malta, a couple of uh, several weeks ago, actually. So. Um, the ley line thing is interesting to us. She's given me a little bit of a training, a little bit about the ley line, but I'm not an expert in that. I can use the thousand rods, no problem. But... Right, right. Very cool. Very cool. You okay? You need to take a drink? Oh, I'm. This has been like this for like ten days. Yeah, my granddaughter. Oh. She had, went to her parents, which went to us, and she comes over to the museum all the time too. You know, she she kind of works here. She's three years old, so we got her on. We got her out working over there, and she's a preschool too, you know. That's but, so uh, cute. Yeah, she caught something, you know. <laughs> it's it's respiratory virus season. It's just what yeah. it is. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people are so sick right now. Yeah, and we're, definitely. And we're just getting started. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it'll yeah. get worse as the holidays, and then it'll level off. Yeah, when everybody gets together. <laughs> yes. Of yeah. course. You know it. <laughs> I've been outside working on the property, you know, so I'm not inside as much. I still got it though, you know. We're out there still cleaning up from the forestry project and I bring a lot of firewood home. 
And that's how we keep discovering things out there too. You know, you turn around and something else. Then we have zigzag walls. We have walls shaped like the letter D, and those repeat themselves across the northeast. So we're going to do a little. Uh, we're doing tic tac. We got about eighty four tic TikTok, excuse me, not TikTok, TikTok video. <laughs> video starts up. Uh, and that's on TikTok. People can actually look at that. You know, we do a little, uh, I'll, we'll go up there and either myself or James, who's been with us for five years, just graduated from college and decided he wanted to work for us. Uh, he got a degree in law enforcement and graduated at the top of his class and he decided he really wanted to work for us. He had all these options go to, you know, the for federal or local or state police, uh, the game wardens, everybody, you know, all these cool jobs. Some of them are cool jobs, but, <clears throat> and uh, he decided he wanted to work for us. He does a wonderful job with social media. So we're putting a lot on um, TikTok um, and also Facebook, Instagram, and my daughter-in-law handles the website. So when they go to that, they can see a lot of the little video shots. We'll describe the Oracle chamber. We'll describe the uh, monolith, the serpent walls, the windows. It'll be like a two minute, because it tend to be kind of short because people's attention spans seem to be about a two or three minute thing, you know, because <laughs> you try to keep it short, you know, little informational thing. So, yeah, you have to keep up with the times. Yeah, yeah we do. There's yeah. a lot yeah. to see yeah. on TikTok. So you scroll. If you don't catch someone in the first 10 seconds, even yeah. the first five, it's like, boom. Yeah, I you know. Lose them. You lose them. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a couple that went over 100,000, which were good, you know, in, in like a week and a half. And I thought, wow. For us, little, you know, we're used to, I'm used to the 1950s and 60s and 70 kind of thing, you know. It's like, well, that's. And uh, yeah. once it, you it, have it, the right hashtags, your daughter in law is handling that. Once you have the right hashtags and people see you and they yeah. repost, that's what you need is the repost. Yeah. It looks like yeah. that's doing okay. Yeah. And we're very, very happy with that. Um, but yeah, we put the latest research. Like we had the bones, you mentioned the bones, or and people often ask us any bones ever found on the hill. And there have been bones found up there going back to the 1930s when Mr. Goodwin, the mm -hmm. first researcher, was up there. And he found three bones together on the main site in an area we call the plaza. It's kind of in the middle of that one acre where the main site's located. And it's all bedrock. And the first photographs taken before he ever went there were taken uh, around 1900 and 1920. We have four photographs in that area. And they're all on the back of the pictures. They're all uh, uh, numbered and in blue ink, and also in black ink. And uh, so those are some of the earliest photographs. It's pretty much bare bedrock. Well, the bones are found. Uh, 1937, sent to the Smithsonian mm -hmm. by a, a teacher who drove them there in 1968. And they were looked at by a Dr. Lucille St. Quinn, a physical anthropologist at the Smithsonian. She looked at them. She, uh, in her uh, report, she commented about their oddness, the density, their appearance. And although she couldn't positively identify if they're human or animal, she said, my best feeling is that these are human. Oh. So she returned uh, the bones for the reports. And then they were put back in our museum on display for the next 55 years to the spring. And I have a friend that lives out in Malibu. Uh, he's on radio a lot and writes books. And he's done work on the Paracas skulls in South America. He has a DNA. Wow. Uh, Thunder Bay candidate at uh, Lake Point, I think it's called, University. And he's, uh, he works with the uh, woman. There's a man and a, and a wife, or a husband and wife, I should say. And they run it. And he's been working with them for years. And so we had the uh, two of the three bones sent up there through customs. We sent them separately. The third bone we kept in safekeeping at home in case the first two got lost in the mail. Well, they were DNA'd. And uh, they compared it to uh, 39,000 
like 400 uh, different individuals. And the closest was that they were from the, from the um, Mediterranean, the Eastern part, and that they were Greek, <clears throat> the bones are Greek. So that kind of puzzled us because we don't know of anybody historically or going way back, you know, um, mm -hmm. of that ancestry. So then the next question is how old the bones were. So we called up the laboratory that we've been using since 1967, Deercom Laboratory uh, down in Massachusetts. And they used to be in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and they've moved since. And I talked to the son of uh, the gentleman that opened the lab up back in 1960. He's passed away. His son's carrying out his work. And I said, these bones have been around for 85 years out of the ground, you know, exposed to the elements. Can they be actually contaminated now? They've been contaminated by light and all sorts of stuff. Ah, <laughs> and I didn't think they could be, you know, because that was my understanding that once you get them out of the ground, you know, you have to uh, get them right to the laboratory and have them, you know, uh, tested right away, you know. Mm -hmm. goes, well, if you're a DNA, then you cal uh, I think collagen and protein or something, you said, uh, being out of the ground actually is good for them. When they're in the ground, they uh, actually uh, de they uh, decompose the dirt, <laughs> and, right. uh, which we all know. But he said, I think we can do it. So we, uh, we allowed him to take one bone. He uh, prepared it over, it took him a few weeks. I don't think he worked on it. You know, he worked on it, and then he, he does a lot of other stuff in his laboratory, obviously. Then he sent it to the University of Tucson and Arizona. And uh, uh, about, we actually took about four months to get the results back. And the bones were not ancient. They were from around 300 years ago up to maybe about 160 years ago. And they thought probably around 1850-something, you know, with the age. That was kind of a medium thing. So not mm -hmm. real exciting, not earth shattering. But we have somebody who's bones, three of the bones, they were related, the two were related, uh, the DNA shows them they were from the same person or from the same family. They were all found next to each other. And all of this is bedrock with some rubble and a little bit of dirt. Yeah, why would, you know, it raised more questions to us. Advice. I know they're Greek. Uh, we don't have anybody historically on the hilltop. That doesn't mean they weren't there. We just have no, no notes of anybody being of Greek ancestry on the hilltop. Uh, right. But obviously they were. And, you know, why are these bones laying on the hilltop? And, you know, what happened to this person, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it was kind of, a, kind of an interesting thing among us, the researchers and the family and everything. It's like, what, what do you have somebody up there uh, maybe passing away, and then the body was just left there, you know? Because the guys mm -hmm. who lived on the site, they had a wooden house up there, and Jonathan lived to 1849 when he passed, and his wife Betsy continued on for a while. And then around 1855, there was some damage by a fire to the house. And we think the house is down on Main Street. They actually moved the whole house down there. But, uh, but then we have somebody between 1692 and up to about 1900, somewhere in there. They couldn't get it more precise because a more recent pattern dating. Mm -hmm. But uh, it just left us with more questions. Why do we have somebody up there dying on the site? You know? And then three right. bones behind. So we, it's just another mystery for the, you know, they just weren't, you know, 2,000-year-old bones or anything like that. But two other bones that were looked at in 1968 by that same doctor, she uh, looked at them and thought they looked interesting. They came from the watch house and it turned out uh, she asked her male colleague who was a, more of a specialist with animals, but she thought, she thought they might be bison or buffalo. <clears throat> and he looked at it and goes, uh, I think they're bison, bison. He goes, yeah, they're from New Hampshire though, you know? He goes, yeah, the woodland bison were in that area if you go back in ancient times. Those bones are stored away. They weren't with the, uh, the other collection, uh, you know, that you can see the public comes in, we have a lot of things on display. 
I'd have to go actually find those bones. And I'm thinking maybe of having those carbon dated too to see what time period the buffalo. And why were they put in that chamber? Were they an offering or yeah. you're not gonna get a buffalo in there unless it's a baby buffalo. No. <laughs> no. no way, you know. And right. they were found next to a small bone that had a grow hole and a small stone, triangular stone, like piece of slate, very small, about an inch and a half by maybe an inch and very, very thin. And the bone was about the same length, about an inch or so. And they both had drill holes. These are probably pendants. And they were found in the same area that the two buffalo bones were found inside the watch. So uh, just, again, you know, we don't. Yes. There must be a story there somewhere. We just haven't quite figured it out. I, I'm sure you've got a lot of stories there. <laughs> it's yeah. interesting. I mean, it's so interesting to me. The fact that you're not finding anything older, to me, either you just haven't found that burial place yet or the place was abandoned at some point have you guys made that determination is there anything indicating like what happened to the people who started this whole thing that's such a great question then again my friend that's out in Malibu actually was just out visiting about a month well, about two months ago I guess he was out and uh, he's been out there a number of times and that's one thing that he's looking at too because when Mr. Goodwin back in the 1930s hired a crew and they began cleaning the brush they really photographed first and they began cleaning the brush, the debris, and they began digging and sifting, looking for artifacts, and then some restoration work. We mm -hmm. have all of that photograph because the right-hand man, Malcolm Pearson, was a professional photographer, and the site was actually mapped. And Mr. Goodwin had a guy uh, who was an MIT engineer. They went to MIT, there was an engineer, and he actually set up a plane table. We have pictures of him there with his helmet on a plane table and he actually mapped the entire site with cross-section profile plan view and we have all that data. So we know what the site looked like when they first got there, you know, and they started cleaning it. But we found that the uh, stone drains, there's a whole complete network of underground drains that were engineered before the chambers were built on and around them. Mm. And uh, like the Oracle chamber has two of these underground drains. One runs 45 feet and it still keeps the, the structure dry, especially this year we've had an amazing amount of rain. It's like all summer it rained, we'd have like one day and 10 days of rain, flooding and everything. And the drains still carry the water, even though the drains have got silt in them today, you know, the stuff that settles in there, the water mm -hmm. still comes through there. Yeah. It drains right down these underground tunnels, like two parallel walls of flat capstones on top. And we have 12 of those, and the longest one's 75 feet long. So they engineered a complete system of water drains, if you will. Some people think they're more spiritual. I think they're practical, I think. And they did that to keep the place from um, having water just puddle up and not know where to go, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so these these drains had stone plugs actually put into the entrance of the drain. like they, Almost like they winterized the place and went away. The uh, other interesting thing is uh, the Oracle tube. It goes from the Oracle chamber underneath the sacrificial table six feet away it's a horizontal tube maybe roughly a foot by a foot in diameter and it's uh when you're inside the oracle chamber right below it part of the bedrock had been left as a step so they actually quarried part of the floor to lower the floor and they used that material for the walls and perhaps for some of the roof slabs but they left a step right below that tube so somebody five and a half feet tall you know up to maybe six feet uh, can stand there on the step and they can yell through that tube. The voice comes out underneath the table like an oracle tube, would, which I've seen in um, Delphi, actually in um, Malta. We've been to Delphi in Greece too, where they had the female oracle. But, um, mm -hmm. 
so anyway, uh, that too was actually blocked on both sides of stone plugs also concealing it. And uh, Mr. Goodwin had a young, uh, I guess, I don't know how old, a young man anyway, very young. And he was, name was Paul. And last name is missing for some reason, but Paul was in there doing a little study, research, you know, exploring. And he actually wiggled the stone and he said, huh, that stone looks loose. They went back into the, they had a bunkhouse made out of wood, of course, and they would sleep in there at night, about 50 feet from the Oracle chamber. And they would, he went in there and grabbed a, a kitchen knife, went back out to there and got it in and wiped the stone out and saw a whole six foot tube and it was blocked at the other end underneath the table. And mm. it wasn't until the next year in 1938, they actually cleaned around the table and found the table sitting on four legs. Uh, and they also dug down as they dug down, they found what looked like another you know, stone that didn't seem to interlock with the other stones. It looked like a plug. They, they moved it, they wiggled it, they pulled it out and they found the complete oracle tube. So that oracle tube was concealed. The two drains in the oracle chamber were concealed too. And uh, it looks like the uh, couple of the big slats, what we call monoliths, were actually, uh, they could have been knocked over. They could be knocked over by natural forces mm -hmm. or were they knocked over intentionally. And that's one of the things that this gentleman's working on, you know, a theory he has that the site was abandoned, but like Obeckley Tepe, part of it was buried, mm -hmm. covered, and part of it was, you know, a stone. Interesting. Blood. Um, but another thing to add to that, too, is we found 34 of these big slabs, which were big big enough for root slabs. These are multi-ton stones that were actually propped mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. First of all, in 1982 by one of our staff, Mary, who was up having a uh, lunch. And she had already been informed to look for stones that might have been propped up, uh, lifted off the bedrock. And if you look at it closely, you might see the dimples. And the dimpling would indicate percussion flaking. Like when you make an arrowhead, you get a little dimpling on the side from pressure flaking or percussion flaking. And yeah. she's sitting there having a lunch in the summer of 1982. She's sitting on the edge of a stone. And she realized it was raised. So she got underneath and saw a block of stone holding it up uh, from its actual socket where it once rested. And she noticed it was all scalloped or dimples. And now she brought it to the attention of our Dr. Stuart Smith. And the next mm -hmm. year, he actually did an excavation. He found the fact it was propped, it was moved out of its socket, and it was probably intended, and the edge of it had been shaped or dressed using camera stone, percussion flaking. And um, over that was, over him was Dr. Gary Hume, a state archaeologist. He was a lithic specialist. He knew how stone tools were made. Mm -hmm. He's retired, he's still around today. He did a project 40 years ago, and that was one of them. Since 1982 with Mary, we found uh, 34 of these stones all over the hilltop, some up to 1,000 feet. Wow. Some of these were really enormous. And I think it was like last year, I was in a tent. It's like one of those duh. You find so many of them, you start to think that these people had a much bigger plan for the uh, site. Maybe they were building, you know, build it much larger. And mm. for some reason, they just abandoned the whole thing. So it was like a work in progress. Then your mind runs away, you know, was, you know, was a climate. Something changed with the climate? Was it maybe warfare, disease? You know, was it some other reason these people gave up on the site? You know, we just don't know today. But it raised a lot of questions. We have these, all these slabs. Somebody was going to build, and they went to an enormous amount of work because bedrock uh, is foliated, it's granite. It does come up in layers, but you have to detach it. It's a lot of work just separating. It's no it. small task, no. Yeah, a lot of work. And um, they were actually shaping, getting into the shaping of the stone by that time, these 34. Uh, they do show signs of being dressed or scalped, and that's extra work. That's a lot of work 
and then you just walk away from it. So that's a great mm -hmm. question. Is it abandoned? It looks like it may have been. And the reason why we just we really don't know, but there are 800 other sites too. And right. again, from Southern Canada going all the way down to Virginia. And by the way, they are doing OSL on these other sites and they're all coming back with uh, pre-colonial and pre-Columbian dates on them, to my understanding. They did 22 different places, 44 yeah. different samples. And, uh, so that's scientific rather than, hey, I have an opinion kind of thing, you know? Right. Well, I mean, Quebecly Tepe and everything around it that they're starting to find in the whole area, Some, I mean, they just found one that was older than that. And again, buried. So, it, yeah, yeah, so it, it makes you wonder, you know, would they go to all that trouble only to bury it and not leave it? So, I mean, how old do you estimate the site to be? I know we talked about it in the first show, but for those people who are just tuning in now for the first time. Well, it might be one of the oldest stone um, sites in North America, perhaps, you know. We've right. been doing carbon dating since 1967, as I mentioned. Uh, and we've used both this laboratory in Massachusetts. Um, it's called Deercom Laboratories. But we also use Wichel Oceanographic Institute for carbon dating, too. Uh, we did three with them. And the oldest date on the main site was 1971. It was charcoal, and that dated mm -hmm. to 4,000 years old. In 1969, in that same vicinity where we got the 4,000-year-old charcoal, we got 3,000-year-old charcoal. And these were both above quarried bedrock. So when they went down, they began digging in that area in 67, actually. We have to go back to 67. They were digging on the north wall of a chamber called the Chamber in Ruin. Got a gigantic roof collapse, collapsed into it. That chamber is very, very interesting. It's got a lot of features, too. Um, and on the north wall, they found uh, a piece of root. It's all photographed, the 67 excavation. And as they excavated, there's the root. But if you go back 30 years before that in the 1930s, the stump was there. That was photographed. The stump was adjacent to that north wall. And they realized that you don't build a chamber around the tree. The tree grows through the structure, you know. Um, and so when they dug down in 67, they actually found some of the roots that actually penetrated the wall. And they removed them. They sent it to the Town Laboratories. The date came back 1690 AD. This puts it back before the uh, Patty family in the colonial period in this local area. You know, so uh, it's after 1620, obviously, but in that area, hmm. they weren't settling that area to into the 1700s. But it puts it back before the Patty family. Because a lot of people said, "Oh, the Patties built it. They were kind of crazy, you know, six husky sons." They actually had two sons. One died at 17 in Boston. And the other one, you know, lived to adulthood and had his had children. Yet he had like nine daughters. I don't know if they're a husky or not, you know, but that's the blame. Oh, the husky sons built the whole site. There's nothing better. Mm -hmm. So they put it back before that area. And then in 69, they dug down and they hit sterile dirt and nothing. And they were excavating very slowly in a little frustration. We're not finding anything. And all of a sudden, they started finding uh, charcoal flakes. And they also started finding stone pools, hammer stones, rubbing stones, stone scrapers in the mix. And in 71, they went down, and that's when they got the 3,000-year-old date. And I was like, wow. And then when you, and that's adjacent right next to the uh, north wall again. And it's all undisturbed soil there. They have the stratigraphy. It's mm -hmm. the coloring, the layers of soil, and they represent different time periods. And the lower you go, the older it is. And when they went down in 71, adjacent to that, they went down, and they found 4,000-year-old charcoal. And again, more stone tools. And then when it gets to the very bottom, they found that the bedrock had been quarried. So the first thing is, Somebody quarried the bedrock. They must have built the stone wall that's part of the chamber in ruins, the north wall, then the rest of the kind of a 
shoebox chamber, but it's actually trapezoid in shape. We found that out recently too with the LIDAR. They're actually trapezoid chlorophane. So mm -hmm. like several chambers are not rectangular or square, not 90 degree corners, but actually trapezoidal in shape. That's one of the latest, you know, discoveries in the last two years, I guess, with the, uh, two, two years of the LIDAR. And uh, so that that was 19, you know, 71. And in 70, we found some 3,000-year-old chocolate on a different part of the site. So the construction may have taken place 2,000 BC, perhaps. And hmm. um, Dr. Winston from Penn State actually put it into three stages of construction using astronomy. Um, and because the Earth tilts slowly, it actually changed, you know, with the alignments of the sun for the solstices or the lunar alignments are off a little bit to the Earth's tilt. Mm -hmm. Use some of that. Use some of the cabin datings, and he used the uh, some of the um, you know just the way the walls were laid out and everything. And he came up with some time periods of uh, stages of construction, and it and it kind of looked like Stonehenge. Stonehenge was you know they say it's stage one, two, three A B C over fifteen hundred years. And Gobekli Tepe is interesting because I think there was about a fifteen hundred year period of time for construction. Uh, in Andrew Collins' book, I think that's the last one I read about Quebec and Tepe. I don't know if it's the most recent data. Maybe they changed uh, the But There's one they found that's older, they determined, but pretty much exact same layout. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it might have been a layering of cultures on our site. And we've even thought of that in the 1970s because the Astronomical Center today uh, is where two stone piles we call arms in their worldwide towns of district. It can be ancient, it can be modern trail markers. There's some that we just don't know what they were used for. Some look like star patterns, you know, if you have yes. several of them. Huh? But uh, we had two of them, and Mr. Goodwin, unfortunately, after they diagrammed them and after they photographed them, they destroyed them in the late 30s, just before 1940. He actually thought, well, they were rebuilding a uh, adjacent structure called the ramp, which overlooks the sacrificial table, and he needed some stones, so he pulled them from the two platforms. He must have thought they were discarded waste stones, you know? Mm -hmm. They were. They were actually astronomical centers. And they were just next, they were side by side, and they marked both points where all the alignments come together, you know? But he destroyed yeah. it. We, over 80 years ago, he destroyed that. And that's kind of a mock against him, but I guess if you and I were back in that time period working with him, we might have done the same thing, you know, with the knowledge we had. Yes, right. Uh, possibly, you know? So, um, 2020 is good. <laughs> I, I, we'll yeah, we'll take that. I will take that. Uh, I, another quick, well, I said quick okay. question. Hold on. Uh, no, wrong one. Hold on. Over here. There we go. There's I'm okay. Are we right. doing? Okay. I'm right. going to scroll up so I can see it better at this one. Okay. Janice asked, do any of the stones show magnetic properties? I'll ask the first question first. <laughs> Like one at a time, Michelle, or do you want all of them? Um, well, we you know, ask them all and then okay. yeah, and and then Dennis can just go one at a time, tackle them. Okay, so go ahead. I'll repeat that. Do any of the stones show magnetic properties? Have you used instruments to determine any metals? I'm a novice to the site, so I would like to know what artifacts you have found there. Okay, I'll leave it up for you, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, artifact wise, that's easy. When artifact wise, we found from the historic to the prehistoric, we have a you know, we have things that Mr. Goodwin left behind. We have the Patty family, and they were there for decades. We also go back into the uh, Stone Age, where we have hammer stones, rubbing stones, stone scrapers, stone picks, that kind of thing. So, we have found both Stone Age tools 
And by the way, the stones uh, that were big root slabs, wall slabs, and all of that were, according to Dr. Gary Hume, shaped again using percussion flaking, so a stone age technology. And that goes along with the hammer stones we found too, you know. Um, so we have a, you know, we have a spread of different types of tools, you know, from the modern uh, all the way back into, I guess you'd call it the stone age. Yeah, this, uh, and we have found pottery too. And I, I didn't mention the pottery. Pottery has been found on the main site, both historic pottery from the Patty mm -hmm. family, lots of that. Uh, I've done digs up there and I found blueware and all sorts of stuff from the Patty. See, basically in those days, their, their uh, town dump was there outside their window and they throw the stuff out, you yeah. know? And it makes yeah. it good for archaeologists, you know, because it tells the story. Where the megalithic sites in Western Europe are pretty clean archaeologically, like Stonehenge, and there are 50,000, they estimate, megalithic sites right across Europe. And then they continue into Russia and, you know, they go right into China, India, they're all over the world. But they seem to be places where people weren't living. They were more of the sacred sites and they were mm. kept really clean, just kind of like a church today is kept pretty clean. You don't find the middens or the trash pits generally. You will find some discarded tools like we have on our site, cameras, I think building material and building tools, you know. Mm. But uh, we have on pottery on the main site, though, that was looked at in the 1960s. And it looks like the same kind of corded ware from Western Europe at the time. And our researcher back then, James Whittall, actually traveled to Europe all the time. He saw a resemblance to some of the pottery found on the main site, prehistoric, not the Paddy family. But mm -hmm. we have little Woodland period pottery found at a glacial cliff shelter that's part of our property on the west side. We opened that up for snowshoeing and people can go out there in the winter when we have like six inches of snow. That was a glacial cliff shelter where the Native Americans would have been living in the middle woodland period. And the pottery was found around 1959 on display. And I'm not sure if that picture had it. Great big bowl that, you know, one of the one of the artifacts. And it goes back to that time period. That's um, the only one that I saw. Yeah, so yeah. I snagged it. The, the, the rock up there is uh, granite. It has quartz, mica. Uh, it has feldspar in it. It also have we also have quartz crystals, and we have quartzite uh, and stone up there. And um, I like talking to geologists, you know, about the type of material that is. It's called uh, it's called uh, schist, or another name was called bastard granite too. Bastard granite, kind of a square word, but that was another name that was uh, attached to this type of granite we have. It is foliated. It does come up in layers. Uh, some people have used different types of, uh, even on your phone, you can um, put different apps on there now and to see if there's some magnetic properties to the stone. And there seems to be a little bit of that. Mm. Um, we've had problems with drones, uh, with batteries, with the drone batteries, actually. And also oh, that's interesting. Systems. Yeah, a lot of that has happened. Even that $12,000 one was having issues, you know, when he was up there last. Uh, TV companies will come up. The History Channel came up and did a lot with us. That was There's a degree of magnetics, to say the least. Yeah, I think the magnetic thing, it does cause compasses to uh, be messed up on top of the hill. But I think that could be looked at a little bit more closely. So we ought to come up there and do a little more research on that, just to be sure what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we, A couple of paranormal people have been up there and actually, actually filmed a compass. It was a pseudo compass you hold in your hand. It wasn't one of the phone app ones. And mm -hmm. the thing was spinning around in a circle. And it will it. react to magnetics, the compass. Yeah, it's, they call it the poor man's EMF. Oh, when you take a compass yeah. against stones like that, the poor man's yeah. EMF, it will detect things like that. Yeah, yeah. it's great. When I was a kid, I made a UFO detector, and uh, they had a compass, they had a battery. And when the compass came over and hit a 
uh, it had like a little metal pin and it was hooked up electrically and it completed the circuit when the compass spun and it would set off a little buzzer. I <laughs> 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 was like 12 when I made it, you know? That's funny. But, but the hill, yeah, we do have that at the hill. And I think that should be looked at a little bit closer about the magnetic properties of the hill for sure, you know? And there is an earthquake fault line. The whole hilltop is split east to west. I don't know if I mentioned that on the show last year. Um, if you go to Machu Picchu uh, in Peru, that is on the fault line. And Maria Wheatley, again, was talking to me about the, some of the stone circles, like 700 of them in Wales. And I've been to Wales, but I haven't seen them because we passed through Wales on the way to Ireland on the, on the ferry. But um, in Wales, about 700 ancient stone circles, about an equal number in Scotland. And I've been up to Scotland, too. But they're on fault lines, either on a fault line or within a mile and a half of a fault line. Um, hmm. And even like Delphi is on a, on a fault. And we went there for our honeymoon in 85. And I think the oracles, the female oracles, they, the vapors would come out and it would have, have an effect on them. Yes, know? yes. I think that's still doing that today because we're there and that wasn't even mentioned that. Well, it was 35 years ago, but my best, or 37 years ago, the best memory is uh, I don't remember them talking about that then, you know? But mm -hmm. uh, it's fault line. So our site is split right in half of the fault. When you come up, you can actually see it. It goes right across the whole site. It goes out to the glacier cliff. You can go out there and actually see where it continues. The whole cliff is split in half, too. Wow. They seem interested in that. And why? And did it give off, like, illuminations during earthquakes? I don't know. There's all sorts of theories, speculation. Some of it's kind of interesting, you know. But um, I don't know. Well, <laughs> ancient people, were, you know, had ways of, of detecting things like that. You know, mm -hmm. I think like whether it was through senses or just through old, old techniques that would be completely alien to us. And yeah. we rely on technology, but they seem to know just like the solstices, follow the stars, mm -hmm. follow the sun, follow the moon. The, the moon they, yeah. Yeah. They what just had a sense yeah. for it. Yeah. But it's a, so. yeah. it's a curiosity Absolutely. because, you know, even like we'll, we'll go into a little bit of an area of high strangeness because you brought up paranormal, but a lot of ancient sites would have um ufo activity because they were attracted the ancients mm -hmm. let's face it the ancients always built their sites or their monuments on either what was believed to be stargates portals areas of high energy uh you know, strange energy anything that they could they could draw from and of course the church came along went over top of a lot of those ancient monuments where they were allowed to obviously places like that have monoliths are a little bit harder but do you think that this was the case with your stonehenge do you guys get a lot of ufo activity a lot of sightings things of that nature well i think new hampshire is number five in the country for population versus sightings you know yes um, of you know, we had the famous uh, uh, incident in Exeter in 1965, and uh, we have a UFO fest over there, and they kind of combine it with the Betty Hill, Bonnie Hill thing that took place in the year. Mm, of course. And, and Betty comes with <laughs> mom, you know, for years. Yeah. And yes. Stuff. And then, uh, yeah. you know, and I talked to her once in a while. But, uh, yeah, they've been sightings. In fact, I wish I had – it's on our computer somewhere, and it must have been almost two years ago. There was a, uh, a young woman coming up with her mom, Massachusetts to visit, and on the way up, she go. She actually filmed over our hill. Sent it to me later, a little fuzzy, but it was like a cube over our site as she was driving. And the problem is, you're driving, you know, your motion, uh, right. things are rolling on. But she had a couple of them had a really pretty clear shots of this. But she kept the car going. You know, it's too bad. And um, 
trees and stuff like that. And there was a cube right over our site. And um, almost three years ago, right out of our, we live on the west side. We live in the summer solstice sunset uh, on property uh, that became available in 1985. You know, so we built a house on a separate piece of property to be near our place that abuts it. And there's a mm -hmm. cold and I was looking out the window to the west towards the mansion in New Hampshire Airport where I learned to fly back in 74. I'm looking out there and I see a very bright light. And I might have told you that last year, I don't remember. And I'm looking at it, so well, it could be a landing light, but it doesn't seem to be in the correct position. It was nine o'clock, right. it was mid, about nine o'clock at night, it was mid-February, cold winter night, clear skies. And I'm looking at it, so it was a little bright, you know, but landing lights can be pretty bright. I didn't see any position, you know, the red, green, white position lights. I didn't see any beacon lights, which mm -hmm. uh, you you know, when you start an engine on a plane, you have the beacon, the red beacon going as a warning, daytime and nighttime. I didn't see any logo lights we have on there on our airline on the tail. It illuminates the logo. I didn't see any of that. Also, it's a bright light. And all of a sudden, after like two seconds, this thing was straight to the earth instantaneously. It kind of looked like the Dome of the Rocks video where the UFO comes down slowly and it shoots up. Yes. It went into the earth. And it was below the Manchester Airport, I'd say below. It's actually south of the Manchester Airport. My perspective, and I, and if anybody had been in the tower, which the tower would have been manned at that time, uh, but if anybody had been looking to the south or in that area, they would have seen this thing too, you know. And I mm -hmm. went to move on, I went on to see if anybody else reported it. I couldn't, it wasn't up to date though, the web, whatever the web thing wasn't up to date. That thing was amazing. I actually asked Kathleen Martin about that. Have you ever heard of a thing going straight to the ground, not straight up or horizontally? This thing went straight down from my perspective, it didn't go to the west, which you know, is the other possibility. They went right to the ground because only a reptilian in Skinwalker Ranch have they seen that. I'm like, yeah, wow. that, that's it's true. Because a lot of magnetics and stuff under the ground too, though. You know, so that yeah, I was I I you know I flew forty two years, like thirty thousand hours of flying and flew for UPS all seven forty seven flying at night. You know, because night night freight haulers. You know, and I talked to a lot of the guys, a lot of uh, Korean War. The time I got there in '86, uh, a lot of the you know World War II pilots retired, 60 years old was mandatory retirement in, for the FAA. You know, and, mm -hmm. and, um, I was with a lot of Vietnam guys and some Korean War guys too, and uh, they had their they had things, and we'd see things were flying along like on one of our, you'd be flying like in the middle of the night, you know, and we see things way off in the distance and uh, disappear. Well, did it go behind a cloud, behind a mountain? You know, did they turn off their landing lights? Mm -hmm. So nothing really close. So my experiences have been on the ground so far. You know, right. But this thing I saw around my window that I told my wife and she she was in the sunroom. She she would have never made it there in time. But uh, so there's been activity in this area. Yeah, they say it's a high. There's a lot of activity around here. And um, I have a friend that's um, he he uh, he's on one of the travel channel hosts on one of the shows. They do mm -hmm. paranormal. Yes. And I've been to the site. He lives in Massachusetts. Usually on the West Coast doing his thing. And uh, he's interested in doing a stargazing splash UFO thing on our site. So we might get that together because we've been talking about stargazing, having guest speakers coming in. And he knows a guy named James Fox, if you know of him with the UFO. Mm -hmm. he, um, so something may be developing there. So we have that kind of something that might be going. If we do, we'll put it on the website. Oh, yeah. yeah I think it would be interesting. I mean, you get into the whole... You know, I mean, some people are kind of funny with the whole CE5 thing, but yeah. that's pretty much what I think you're talking about. You know, the, the stargazing and getting people to to come out and try to, uh, you know, just just communicate. Oh, it's, a, it's a very popular thing. 
I think so. Yeah, and they do that in Sedona, and they do that at other places. Talk about water skiing. Yes, yes, uh, yes. UFOs and uh, because the Hudson Valley, that was where a lot of these sites. Oh, been. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> back in yes. the eighties, we had that flap down there, and I was flying into LaGuardia all the time for another airline. And uh, one of the guys, one of my, was a you know another colleague. He was a captain. I was a captain, so I didn't you know fly together, you know. But anyway, he was he made it into like Newsweek and Time, and because he took a ribbon back in those days, you know, because of the little little game then. But he actually saw that when he was flying down the Hudson. You know, he, he vectored down to land at LaGuardia. I think we went to Kennedy too, but he actually got caught up in that whole thing, and he made the, the news and everything, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so there are structures down there. Uh, a lot of chambers. So ancient aliens actually did a uh, show on the Hudson Valley in Dutchess County, Putnam, and Westchester. And Very active. Came, I love that show. That is cool. Yeah, they came up and they filmed the site in uh, Connecticut, one of the many sites in Connecticut called Gungiwamp, which is similar to our site. It covers a vast area. The state just purchased it, uh, and uh, they're doing research on it. I'm not sure how it's going to go, whether it'll open it to the public. 1654, John Pynchon, a gentleman, wrote to Governor, Governor Winter Jr. and asked what it was in 1654. What is this site? So if they're all built by our our ancestors, farmers, you know, why are they asking that 300 years ago? They would know, you would think. They would know, yeah, you know, yes. those questions. And then, um, and then they came up and they filmed us. And that day they filmed us, they put all three places together on that ancient alien. It aired on July 19th, uh, 2019. That was my mom's 100th birthday. She died like 10 days before that because I don't want to So anyway, but that was when that show aired, you know, and they showed us and Gungiwamp and some of the Hudson Valley sites. And right. I took that video I sent you by mistake from Jason, showed the King's Chamber and some of the chambers in the Hudson Valley. They're pretty spectacular down there. And right. that's how the UFO activity was, you know, the, seen, the, you know? the one you can't get into with <laughs> the film. Um, we have to do a quick station and sponsor ID. Then I'm going to get to another question. And then, yes. I can't even, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels go. off in the studio today. It feels off, like our display is. Off I don't know. My light went out behind me. <laughs> I just saw that, and I'm just seeing the alien going. I know it happens. It's live. It's yeah. live. That's what happened. I think it wanted a spotlight because it cut out my backlights. There you go. This hill does that all the time to people. It turns out that batteries and all sorts of things. You don't blame it on this place because it's right out behind me. If we yeah. see you sitting in the dark, we'll know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. Go, 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 go. Now, let's now, kids. <laughs> let's get back to... I'm going to lose it today. You are listening to The Outer Realm with Michelle DeRoche and Amelia Pisano coming to you live from the beautiful city of New Orleans on 105.3 and 107.7 FM radio, as well as the Roku channel. So you can watch us live or archived on Roku channel. And I hope you're watching tonight because there was a little bit of show and tell tonight. And our guest is Dennis Stone and he is America's Stonehenge. And... I wanted to just say that uh, thank you, Dennis, for coming back tonight and sharing so much with us. And and also, you have a link that Michelle's going to be posting on a, a YouTube video, correct? For an hour, it's a it's a Vimeo, and the link yeah. will be on okay Vimeo the show description, and then people can go in and take direction as to how to see it. Perfect. 
So if you're just tuning in, thanks, Michelle. If you're just tuning in, no worries, because you can stream our archives on any platform that you normally use. And if you are listening to Dennis for the first time, please go into the archive and listen to the whole story from beginning to end. It'll be a lot more enjoyable and you will really love all the information that you're you're missing. So to the wonderful people at Folgers Coffee, thank you so much for your continued support. Thank you for sponsoring our show. As Michelle said earlier, we are going on four years in 2024 with you. Thank you so much. We couldn't do that without you. Our fabulous banner and our promo media, thank you to the incredible horror illustrator and fantastic artist, Steve McGinnis. Steve also creates commissioned pieces. If you're looking for something different than horror, he does everything. And you can find him on social media, Facebook, Instagram. And our intro tonight and every night, thank you, Dr. Snick, the sonic surgeon, Justin Snicker, award-winning composer, vocalist, and musician. You can find his music on Amazon and Bandcamp. You can stream him on any platform you normally use. You can even find him when you're creating a story. All you have to do is search Dr. Snick. He's also on Facebook and Instagram, and he's got the great those great little clip videos. So now at the end, as I always ask, and please, if you are watching us on any of our amazing Facebook group live pages or YouTube, make sure to give us a like and subscribe. And don't forget to share with your friends and family. Bam. Untied. <laughs> oh, All right. Goodness. Question. Yes. Janice asks, if they found quartz, I feel there might be a huge crystal field that can be felt there. Maybe that's why they built there. Right. Yeah. Actually, those quartz crystals are found uh, in a well. We call it the upper well. There's a lower well and an upper well. And that upper well is in the main site. It's kind of as you enter the main site, you'll see the upper well it comes up pretty quick. It's about 23 feet deep. Um, in 1961, uh, one of the researchers got in and because it was filled up with debris. So they got in there and they started cleaning it, but they didn't finish the project. 1963, my dad actually uh, got into the well, um, went down it. And as you get down into it, it gets wider, but at the top, it's quite narrow, you know, and you have to put a ladder in there. It's pretty, pretty awkward and a little, I suppose, a little claustrophobic and kind of scary because you're going down this, this vertical shaft. And what they did is they put a bucket in there with a rope and they started cleaning all the debris and looking at it carefully, make sure that, you know, look for artifacts. And he found that the well is actually stacked stone for about 18 feet. But when you get down to 18 feet, it, it's all bedrock again. And what they did, the 18 people, wherever they were, uh, actually quarried out about five feet into the bedrock and they removed it. And what he found at the bottom of that was what appeared to be a vein of quartz crystal. So the thought is that it was a mine shaft versus the shaft for water, because there's no mm -hmm. vein of water that goes into it. And it, the only time we've seen water is like a year, like this year with all the rain. And the water actually goes into what we call the paddy area, it's a plaza area. Uh, it actually floods that out. Um, so it's not really like the lower well is actually a well for water. It's, there's a water table with a swamp right next to it and it has water in there pretty much year-round except when it's super dry but the upper well is different and the bottom of it actually gets wide again like they were down there removing crystals they thought of like the flint mines in england where they'd actually build these mines out go down and bring out flint it was kind of like that 
So the quartz crystals, um, we have them on display in our museum, and they're, um, you know, they're just really cool-looking quartz uh, crystals. And uh, you can find them on top of cairns. You can find them in structures. The ancient people seem to uh, be very attracted to quartz crystals, and I know there's energy with them too, you know. But they're also very, very hard on a hardness scale. They're right up there, you know. I think they're like they're seven or something like that on the hardness scale. And you can actually use it to mark on the rock if you're doing inscriptions too, because it's harder than the granite. But I think there might have been something more. Um, I think they were kind of valuable to these ancient people for different reasons, both spiritual perhaps, uh, the energy of them. Um, mm. And actually, uh, back in 1988, we had the uh, the uh, Anna Mitchell Hedges skull come to our place. Have you seen that? It was on uh, Indiana Jones, that movie right. that came out 10 years ago. Right. That they found down in, um, I was in Central America. Her dad uh, was thought to be like the original Indiana Jones. And she, uh, she actually, I think she, I think she found it, you know, a place called Luberman or whatever it is. And we have the, we had the book. She provided us with the books and the whole thing. We actually had that quartz crystal, and that's different than the quartz crystals we have. Ours kind of small, very pointed, you know. And this thing was a gigantic crystal skull, and because it, it made it on the movies and everything, and she actually set it on our sacrificial table. And that was in '88, and I think she was living in Canada, I think, at the time, and with a gentleman, I think. And she's passed on since then. Aww. So a lot of controversy surrounded that, and had the movable jar and everything. That was pretty cool. But that's yeah. a gigantic quartz. So if you're thinking of a quartz crystal, that's pretty amazing. But ours are kind of the smaller. I don't think we have any photographs. We found in that bottom of that well were all these quartz crystals. And again, they were probably taking them out of there is what we thought. And there's still a little bit of vein, a vein of them in there too. A vein of yeah. yeah. Well, quartz crystals are in watches as well. Because Genesis, yep, quartz crystals can be programmed to give off certain energies. That's what makes your the quartz movement is a big deal in the watch industry. I hope if you're just listening for the first time to Dennis, that you look into that archive so that you can hear the story from the beginning. Um, because so much has come for like through. So this was a continuation then. of the first, yeah. the first show. Right. So exactly. There's a lot of information for those of you who are interested in this sort of thing, you know, which, which actually, I have a bit of a strange question when it comes to all the different types of rocks that you have, because rocks actually emit frequencies as well. And mm -hmm. I, I can't remember where it is in the United States, but there's a place where they have allegedly the singing stones, singing rocks, and you can actually play a tune on them. When you hit them, they oh, all, they do something different. The sounds are different and they can be quite musical. Do you have exactly. any? Croatia has that too. In Pennsylvania near the Susquehanna River region. I cannot recall it, but yeah, it could it very could well be. We went down in 69 on my first airline flight. We went down to Philadelphia with some uh some of the people that lived there that were members of my dad's research group, and we spent Thanksgiving with them in 69, and they took us to this gigantic area with all these rocks, a very kind of a rural area. And if you throw a rock, it will ring. It actually makes all the, it was kind of famous for that. And I wonder if that's the one. I don't know, because when I, I saw the documentary, I found it fascinating because I, I love mountains and I'm, I've, I've got this mm -hmm. thing with rocks. You know, I do, I go someplace, I have to take one, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I know, but a guy was more playing, than rocks. <laughs> he was playing them like a xylophone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Like this thing was almost like a little orchestra just from stone. You would love Croatia, Michelle. 
because huh? they built stairs <laughs> into the the ocean into the sea and when the sea comes up it plays see oh that's Cro the croatia you can google that renata yeah. showed me that and it's stunning it's steps and you could just sit there and as the waves come in the song is never the same see there's something i see i love that because yeah stones do give up their secrets like do you know you can actually do recordings from stones for residual energy it's like an imprints on them well, isn't there yeah. aren't there crystals and radios and too, bowls yeah. things yeah. like yeah. that yeah. even your pottery yeah. even your pottery could tell a story if yeah. you know how to you know yeah. like singing bowls but people have done yeah. it with ancient artifacts ancient pottery and they have and they've gotten music from them and they've gotten yeah. sometimes like stones will resonate and you can pick up ancient messages you know what recordings sad. around them a thousand years from now they're going to pick up nothing but plastic that's yeah. what's sad they're going to be wondering what we did all the time all these trash cell phones what are these things i know i yeah. know my dad worked for at bell laboratories for 30 years you know and uh, he loved bell, bell laboratories you know um up up here yeah i think he visited the one at murray hill and that's one where they I think you guys got uh, like the Nobel Prize or something for the background radiation that was discovered at the universe because they were listening and they heard this background noise and they realized it was the birth of the universe supposedly. But at AT and T, my dad at Bell Labs, my dad actually they were growing. He would bring some home. I don't know if it's supposed to. Okay, uh, probably four or five inches across. They were grown in the laboratory. These crystals, you know, mm -hmm. they're pretty amazing. So they do use them in the electronics and all of that. That whole field. Yeah, and, and yeah. Amethyst grows too. Amethyst. Sorry, Himalayan salt, like they continue. Well, I mean, if you're having investigations done, it might be worth a try. Like we, we have a, a friend who's been a guest a few times, Sean Williamson. He's a stonemason. And he was saying, you know, you go to some of the cathedrals, the old cathedrals that are all made out of stone. And he goes, and people have done recordings and they could actually hear the chanting. Wow. From from times gone by, mm -hmm. and 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 words would come out because the stone absorbs and because of the frequency, we're all frequency. Everything is frequency and vibration. Mm -hmm. That'd be interesting to try at our site for sure. You, oh, yeah, because you've, you've got the caves. I know, like this oh, one here. Right? You, you have to let us know. <laughs> I would be wanting to try it right in here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what are we looking at? Yeah, that's the uh, inside of the oracle chamber, the east wing of it. Uh, I did have a picture. Chamber, they're still intact. It has uh, two sections, the north-south, which is actually vertically stacked stones with big roof slabs. It runs two north and south, about 27 feet. But this is the east wing of it. And we're wow. looking at the bottom is actually one of the five windows in that chamber. I call not windows, excuse me. Uh, it's uh, like a closet or a niche. And um, there's actually one to the right side of that that's kind of hidden. And it's, it's, we don't know what the function of these little closets were, but there are five of them in that one chamber. And there's also a couple more closets on the main site too. You wonder if like offerings are put into these little, you know, these little niches or little. Cooking. One, yeah, and where you're standing, uh, where this picture was taken from, if you could, you know, if you had a 360 camera just to the right of where the person's standing, um, I might have taken this photograph. Is another closet built into the wall, but opposite that is a uh, is a gigantic rock, a boulder. It's a boulder. It's probably fifty tons, but they actually carved into it a bench seat. So about three people, maybe four, could actually sit there and look into that closet. Why would they do that? It's not a TV set, but maybe they put right. offerings in there. 
Uh, this is the table with two drains. It has five windows. It has a chimney. It has two wow. stone windows. It has two carvings, one of what we call the running deer, although it looks like a Western Ibex animal. The antler is not correct for a white-tailed deer. Um, and it has an arrow carving. And it has that speaking tube we mentioned. And below the speaking tube is a hollow place in the rock that is like an eight-foot bed. And it has a window, too. So you can lay inside of that mm. under the speaking tube. And you can look into the chamber. And you can actually look down pretty much to the entire chamber from that that I guess it's like a cell on the wall, but it's eight feet. And mm. what reason any farmer would build anything like this? But if you were to strip the roof off this completely uh, and look down at it, it would look like the weather letter Y. And the letter Y was what they called it back in the 30s and 40s and 50s. They call it the Y chamber because it looked like the letter Y. Today, because of the Oracle tube, we've been calling it the Oracle chamber for decades, basically. Right. So very sophisticated, and they use core building in there. The way they stack the roof in this part of the chamber, it's like a it's so chamber. tight, like they're so it, tight. Yeah, yeah, very tight. And they almost looks like scales. Positions. Very nicely put together, very tight. And those structures, when it rains out, they never leak. Um, a good one looked at the roof, and I think they found clay in one spot. So maybe the entire roof is lined with clay, and then the big roof flap. Because you can go up here in a heavy rainstorm throughout the chamber, and it doesn't leak inside. You might get humidity in the summer if it's dripping from the wall, but you don't see it right. leaking at all. And it might be, um, you know, it might be a 4,000-year-old chamber, you know, um, pretty well it's, put together. It's definitely interesting. Here, let me just pull up this other one as well. Um, one second. Here we My go. My dog's snoring so loud. <laughs> Okay, one minute. Where this is not the one I wanted. One second. Let me go back. Let me get rid of this one. I thought I popped it up. Um, sorry, I had a few of them here, and I'm just not trying not to get too much of your your time monopolized here. So let me go back to it. I love show and tell. Okay. I know there's great pictures here. That's that's yeah, the thing. I'm just trying to. This is the one I wanted. Okay. Well, let me grab this. Let me put this down and let me get rid of this. Let me do this again and get this one up real quick. There. There we go. What is this one here? Oh, that's inside the Oracle chamber looking to the west. It Opposite. Okay, so that's the other side. Okay. Yeah, it's like if you just turned around from that other picture, and that avenue that I'm standing in that goes east to west runs about almost 19 feet in length. Just to give you one. But what we're looking at uh, with the letter D is uh, above there, that is the oracle tube or speaking tube that we were talking about. Right. And that goes through to the sacrificial table. The table, if you could crawl through there, uh, you'd find to be underneath the table. And the table is about a four and a half ton stone, you know, it's from the four legs as you mentioned. The end of that oracle we've actually found out due to some vandalism, and we had to do a repair on it, unfortunately, uh, in 2019. It's actually flared at the end. It's like a trumpet or a clarinet or any of those instruments where they flare the outside of it or French horn or whatever. Mm -hmm. So to speak, it actually tries to magnify your voice, I think. And then the voice goes out under the table. And when you're standing uh, above the table, opposite the chamber, there's a ramp there. And you look down, you can see the whole table. And if you're watching a ceremony, perhaps, you get his voice coming out, you might hear a spirit. Kind of like the Wizard of Oz, though. Somebody's back there talking, you think it's like a spirit, maybe like a shaman speaking to you, or some right. sort of oracle giving you 
directions, information, wisdom. Below right. that, letter D, uh, I think it's letter C there, but below that is the entrance to the eight-foot bed. And all you're looking at is uh, the front of it. If you were to go in under D, you would crawl to the left, and it goes in eight feet, and, and even a fairly large person can actually climb into that. Um, and as you go in there, there's a window in there, right, when you go in there. And uh, that's where you could, if somebody was in there and they were doing something like a, uh, you know, like um, maybe a priest or shaman may stay here for a period of time. It wasn't really a living site, but during ceremonial solstices, equinoxes, cross-border days, maybe somebody was going to get married, maybe a funeral service. Somebody might stay there and they'd unblock the tube, you know, and they would right. do their, their talk, you know, and they could actually right. stay in there. Maybe they had a vision quest, you know, maybe they would stay in there for days, you know, inside that chamber. The bed, right. uh, maybe that's where the special person stayed, you know, um, just on special occasions. It's speculation, you know. If we could just go back in time with a time machine, uh, it would all become hopefully very clear to us. But to look at that, say, this whole site and say that, like some skeptics say that the table was a uh, cider press, you know, like it was a cider factory, the whole thing, or it was a uh, limestone to make these soap. And limestones usually weigh a couple hundred pounds or about maybe 30 six to 40 inches, maybe an inch thick. They might mm -hmm. weigh, you know, like 200 pounds or something. That table is 9,000 pounds set up with four legs, shaped like a letter, like a bell, kind of a bell mm -hmm. shape. And right. the green one is trapezoid in shape. We found that out just a couple of years ago. We didn't even realize it wasn't a rectangle. It's actually trapezoid shape too. Right. It's a fascinating place. Um, so lastly, Mark, Eddie, mm. Bubbles? Yes. Uh, thank you. Will you be having a winter solstice observation? Yeah, we're going to be doing that on the uh, 21st, the Thursday, and we'll be open for sunrise. We'll be open for sunset. All we need oh, is beautiful. Yeah. yeah so we'll put that on our website. You know, we'll be open, um, I think, 6.30 in the morning. We'll be open to sunrise at roughly 7. We actually have all the times and everything of the actual sunrise, sunset. And then on the 19th, we have a celebration going on. I believe it's Sunday before that. Few days before that we'll do the uh, celebration up there during normal business hours and i think there's going to be a drumming circle on the solstice again so there'll be a drumming circle that day at the actual solstice very nice so that's our next big event coming up and it's coming up very quickly uh, hopefully it's not a blizzard or anything uh, drumming oh, I hope circle you frequency it. vibration imprinting <laughs> <laughs> i'm having so much fun with all that stone oh my gosh i wish i was there i, I hope know. you record it i hope you film it yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. That sounds beautiful. I'm very jealous. Yeah. The really, really cool one is uh, the equinox. Um, and we have three alignments that morning over a large fallen slab, which is about eight feet long, that mm -hmm. fell over. And then you go to the Oracle Chamber. Near, we were just going to the Oracle Chamber near the entrance is a small monolith. And that is illuminated about maybe half an hour after the first observation. Then you go to the watch house. And you actually go down there, you can see the sunlight go into the chamber and it illuminates a quartzite stone. We're talking about quartzite. And uh, even in Hans Holter's book, 1992, Barbara Hand Plow actually did the forward in it. And his book was called Long Before Columbus. It was all about our site. And he brought up different psychics. And that's when Betty Hill visited us back in those days, back in 74. But Hans had been coming up since 1970. And um, Barbara actually, Barbara had probably did the forward actually speculated about that stone in the watch house because it stands out and very, very light in color compared to the rest of the granite, more of a grayish granite. And uh, she speculated as to what it could be. And a couple other authors also did. 
And what we saw is that the sunlight goes on there in the equinox. And this year, we found out for the first time when it goes in there at 7.30. And we never watched it at 7.30 a.m. in the morning. We used to get down there about 8 o'clock because we knew that it actually, a shadow of light actually illuminated the stone and it was framing the stone on the top, the same shape as the stone with a shadow and light thing. But 30 minutes before, it actually, it actually uh, frames the bottom of the stone. So it goes from the bottom and then it morphs into like the top. And then 30 minutes later at 8.30, one hour after the illumination begins, it looks like a hand pointing back at what we think to represent is that chamber is a womb. The, the uh, quartzite is an egg. And it's like Newgrange. I've been to Newgrange in Ireland, but that's on the winter solstice, and the sunlight will go through that whole tunnel at Newgrange, mm -hmm. but it does it in October, and it lights it up. And it's like the spring, the fertilization, um, and it's next to the head of a serpent. And if you go out west to a, a cave called the Crack Cave in Colorado, it's a cave. It has petroglyphs, and one of the things on the equinox is, wow. is a snake. That same morning, the sunlight actually splits that serpent right down the middle with a shadow and light. Pathfinder cave, which is in that vicinity, it does the same thing. So kind of a natural cave. They might have modified it a little bit. The ancient people did. But there's the petroglyphs, which are definitely man-made, and it's split. Chaco Canyon has the uh, sun dagger for solstices. One was discovered by a woman back in 1977. One for summer going through the nine spirals. Nine spirals, I think, represents half the lunar cycle of 18.61 years. But summer's a sun dagger. On the winter, it's two sun daggers. My, and we've been there, but we couldn't get up and look at it. They won't let you go up there. It's very restricted on that view. It's all protected. Mm -hmm. uh, on the equinox, it has a serpent. And that serpent, again, is split. In Mojave North in California is another cave. Same thing. Serpent. It's split that morning. And then down at Tiffany. So we've been there, too, in Mexico. The Quetzalcoatl goes down the Alcucucan, um, excuse me, goes down the 91 staircase, 91 days to the quarter of the year. It mm -hmm. goes down that down that pyramid on the step, the shadow and light. So during our thing on the equinox, we have like three events, but across the U.S. going right into Mexico, there's a serpent thing going on with the equinox. And I'm not sure what that all means, you know, but but it is, you know. That's fascinating. So we've got something, yeah, going on at our site, but it goes right across the country too, right into Mexico. So maybe way, way back, the serpent has... And I'm sure maybe one of your listeners knows, oh, I know what that is. The, you know, spring, it's the equinox, and the serpent are all related. I just haven't heard that or read that yet. The serpent technically was represented knowledge. Exactly. Yes, so, wisdom. And, yes, yeah. yes, maybe it has something to do with, with that, just the knowing of, you know, everything. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and then we have that fertility thing going on, sure, and it does look like an egg. The Newport Tower, I don't know if you know about the Newport Tower in Rhode Island, very famous. It's been on many shows, too. They think mm -hmm. it's around the 1400s, but during the winter solstice, the sunlight goes through one of the windows, and it hits the eye with a keystone, but there's actually uh, an egg-shaped, sim almost similar to ours, and on the winter solstice, like Newgrange in Ireland, it's illuminated about 9 a.m. in the morning. You know, yeah. same kind of thing. The new grade is 5,000 years old, roughly. We were there in 1983 visiting it, an amazing structure. But Newport, we just found a Newport uh, this year, I think. We go down there often. and But that stone is illuminated. But ours is an equinox, but it's so similar. It looks like an egg. It looks like it's being illuminated. Mm -hmm. And um, again, this year we found out that it's in the bottom at 730. 
And if I hadn't been there talking to a woman, everybody else took off for coffee. They thought the whole event was over. Six, Never you know, saw it. The evening. And I'm standing there yapping with her. I turned around. It's like, I missed it. it. <laughs> if I had been yapping just a little bit more, I would have missed it. And maybe it would be a few more years before we even knew that. But it's like frame and then frame and then it's the hand. It looks like a hand. I know there's Beautiful. a thing called pareidolia. You see faces. Yeah. But it's really, you can really see it, though. You know, you can really see it. It's there. You can right. leave it in thought, but it is there, you know. So, and I might have sent her those photographs too. Maybe that was last year I sent those pictures. You know? Yeah. Well, the equinox that would have been after I talked to you last time. That was a few months later we discovered that. I love it. I love it because it transcends all of these different cultures, mm -hmm. all across. Yeah, it's right across yeah. the nation, literally, and in the time, you know, different times. Yeah, but throughout yeah. the world as well, not not just here in the West. And it goes yeah. to show me this was how things were done then. And it wasn't yeah. just out in Europe or England, like a Stonehenge and all these henges that you're finding in monoliths that are you're finding all over the world. I mean, they're literally popping up. And I, and I don't want to sound stereotypical, but now with technology, um, things are just you're just finding them all. Yeah. You know, what, what you thought was just part of nature is not, wasn't part of nature. It was a man-made and, you know, intelligent structure. And this is, and literally they're just being, they're going around the world and there's so many similarities, whether it's a pyramid or whatever, hinge, different monoliths, different, different types of, you know, home structures whatever the case may be go back to is just like one example and they're finding other structures exactly like it yeah yeah you can imagine what's still hidden out there you know oh yeah you know? i imagine it all the time dennis <laughs> okay my brain works funny but i imagine it all the time <laughs> so. you're on the right track though i think you know just amazing and, and the people seem to be more advanced i just read uh some, uh, one of my friends sent me a thing and saying that uh, oh, 3,000, it was 1,500 years before the Greeks uh, with trigonometry. Uh, the, the um, I think it was the, um, oh shoot, I don't want to, I'm getting tired now, but actually uh, it came up, it was amazing. And I'm trying to think of the culture, Babylonian, I believe it was. Right. And 1,500 years before the Greeks actually came up with the uh, with the trigonometry, they were already doing it. And he showed the tablet, the interpretation of it. And it goes back way before, and I think the guy's name began with an H. He's the father of trigonometry in Greek. It's H-I-C. I forget the, what the, how you pronounce the name. And he was given credit for it. But now I'm sure it's ruffling some feathers, you know. Because now it may have gone back 1,500 years earlier. And they said it was actually a better method of teaching it, too, because they showed how it was like a training thing. And they actually it simplifies it. It makes it more understandable about trigonometry. And I took that in college and everything, but they said it's actually better than what we're doing today. And this goes back over 3,500 years ago, you know, well before that. Isn't that crazy? Well, I, I like know. Isn't it crazy? I, I love it, though. Yeah, you know? It just makes you want to just keep going. But, but I mean, you know, yeah. coming. I was going to say with our site, my dad and a couple other researchers independently actually mapped out point, point, point with a standing monolith and. Uh, corners uh, define, you know, real shop corners and walls over the property. Right. It's um, coincidental. But I have a map. I don't think I sent it to you. And it's actually a couple different maps, and they're all similar. They found the same thing. Uh, equilateral triangles, isosceles triangles, and mm -hmm. three, four, five, you know, Pythagorean kind of triangles. Yeah. On the property going from all these points. 
So you can say, well, and, and I know a skeptic can say it's all just a bunch of just random, it's, it's coincidental. When you find over and over and over these, you know, the way they laid out the whole site, mm-hmm. and these lines repeat themselves, then you get to wonder if it is just a coincidence, you know? it's a whole other show dennis (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole other show oh gosh okay real quick your website and your your tiktok just just advertise away well thank you so much for having me on um pleasure we love you and i hope you both can come up i'm going to try to get to poverty point louisiana uh and we're going to do that i think in april so maybe we'll be down your way um, but our website is stonehengeusa.com. And when you go to it, there's a phone number, there's an email, there's a link. And also they can pull down an 11 minute video that we show in our theater. It's right there. There's an app you can pull down too. The app, you put it on your phone, it's a uh, mobile app. You can do a complete virtual tour of the entire, what you see when you come to our place. You can do a complete virtual tour from your lazy boy, from the couch. And it talks to you, it has pictures and text. So you never have to visit us. It's free. You just pull it down. When you see it, and if you use it at our place when you come up, it actually takes you on the street floor. Pretty cool. Um, we're on TikTok. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And uh, and there's a number of TV shows uh, that are on YouTube that have been done going back to 1970 with Rod Serling and Arthur C. Clark, you know, on NBC special, probably unexplained. So we have Leonard Nimoy and all sorts of other things. But the website's stonehengeusa.com, and if they go to that, I think they can find all the other stuff when they go to that, you know. Um, and uh, we're open every day, but Thanksgiving and Christmas and the occasional New England blizzard, you know. So we're, always, <laughs> we're open all the time. Very nice. Very <laughs> nice. Well, thank you for joining us. It's always a thank pleasure. You wealth of information and you never know amelia and i might just make our way out there <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> and oh you can my do a god show, you can do a show live from there if you'd like you know or you know that's kind of fun you know you never get me it would there, be though. fun yeah i don't think fun. i think michelle would have a sleeping bag maybe no sleep i don't know <laughs> <laughs> sorry dennis i'm one of those people <laughs> we're not leaving we're setting up camp <laughs> i'm one of those people yeah <laughs> you can't yeah. bring the rocks to me you we know, can't well rocks. we can't go there for just one time we have to be there a few days on the land to really mm-hmm. feel it right <laughs> well, you, you know we'll set you up with this some beautiful areas up to the set the tent on oh uh, we're there a special special guest well, thank you. Thank you so much, Dennis. Oh, thank you, Dennis. I'll be in touch with all thank the links you. for you. Oh, thank you so much. And happy holidays to all of you. In the you as well. Thank, thank you, you so well. much. Don't right. forget, you got to show us that that footage. Oh, yeah. You have I to share. You know. Okay. Thank you, Dennis. Take care. Thanks, Dennis. Feel better. Thank you. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night. Well, guys, we've come to the end of a fantastic segment, such a wealth of information, just a lovely human, as I like to, to call people I just I just love. <laughs> so, and he's, he is. He's just awesome. Um, so thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to everybody in chat. Like I always say you guys make it that much more interesting, and it's just a lot of fun. Um, tomorrow night, uh, the Outer Realm is happy to welcome the return of Dr. Kathleen Ann Ball, mm-hmm. who's going to be discussing her book. She's she's touched on this quite a bit, 
um, more so her journey, but a grail quest, a discovery of a Knights Templar cave in Brazil. So she's discussed all of this along with her documentary. The book has just newly been released, but she's had a whole lot of research between the last show and tomorrow. So she's going to be, you know, touching on all of this research and other discoveries. And I think she's looking at working on to a second documentary as well. The first documentary can be found on Gaia. So you guys can definitely go check it out if you haven't. Yeah. It would be good to catch up. So you all know, for those of you who haven't tuned in before, uh, what we're actually going to be talking about tomorrow night. So thank you to Folgers Coffee for sponsoring us. Big thank you to Justice Snicker, Dr. Snick, the sonic surgeon. Big thank you to Steve McGinnis. Mm -hmm. We shall see you guys tomorrow evening. Have a fantastic night. Good night, everyone.